0: Asian people are in a very specific position and they've been placed there by white supremacy, model minority myth. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Asians got put in that position where I like to use the, the analogy, if you've ever lived in a house with siblings, which I have not. But we see it all the time, so it should be relatable content. But uh, the parent says, your brother did this and your sister did this. Why haven't you done this? Mm -hmm. You want to do a music degree? Your brother is a doctor. Your sister is a lawyer. Why can't you be like them? It's literally the same thing.
1: My name is Stephen Wakabayashi, and you're listening to Yellow Glitter, Mindfulness Through the Eyes and Soul of Queer Asian Perspectives. This episode, we're joined by an extra special guest, Jonathan Gibbs, who's been on this show before, longtime friend, returning guest, and also creator of the Black and Asian Alliance Network, Proud Gay, Black and Filipino American, host of this QPOC Life podcast, and Gamer based in Brooklyn. Welcome back, Jonathan.
0: Thank you for having me back, especially on this topic. It seems like we're always talking about this when I'm on here, but I'm fine with that.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. And also for listeners we had recorded this podcast earlier and there's just so much to unpack and we basically went back to the drawing table to modify it a little bit more to add additional context into it but we have quite a meaty show for you all and it really came through first Jonathan and I were talking about this movie that just recently came out called Fire Island and so just want to do a quick spoiler alert for the first part of our podcast. We'll be talking a little bit about that movie. If you haven't seen it and you don't want to be spoiled, hit pause, fast forward, skip (laughs) towards the middle, towards the end. You should have seen this movie by now. (laughs) Or you should have seen the movie by now, yes. But for... People, setting a little context, Fire Island follows a tale of five gay friends taking a summer trip to Fire Island Pines, which is an island getaway on the outskirts of New York parallel to Long Island, and they come face-to-face with racism and intolerance on the island. And the movie was written and directed by Joel Kim Booster, who is a gay Korean comedian, and also in the cast, there are three other gay Margaret Cho, Bowen Yang, and Conrad Ricamora. So why don't we start real quick with what was the good with the movie? And just talking a little bit about what went well for us. I can start in the sense that I think it was a wonderful touch of QTBPOC romance in certain parts that there were. Oftentimes we... See in many movies, QT BIPOC X white romance. And I think for the few scenes that had it, it was actually really nice to see.
0: I was going to say, because ultimately it's, I don't know, it felt all lives mattery to me. <laughs> in this case, all romantic comedy lives, storylines matter, mm. especially with how it was played up by so many in the Gaijin community as being this amazing hallmark in this first time we saw ourselves, et cetera, et cetera. But that's me getting into not the good, but some of my gripes. (laughs) So I will say, however, that I do view these kinds of things as kicking the door open. And that's really good. We talk about the crazy rich Asians of the world, these types of foot in the door type works that eventually lead to more representation of more than just what we got up front, I'm happy that Joel Kim Booster was able to do a thing because he didn't see himself in any of the works. And as of the day of this recording, they were on Joel Kim Booster wasn't, but and Yang and his podcast partner, were on the view and I got to hear him talk about for so many years we work at this craft and the highest you could go was supporting role actor and now I'm the main character. I'm like, so I'm really happy for that.
1: Yeah. At times it didn't feel like Bowen was the main character, right? Definitely an ensemble cast. We love those. Yeah. <laughs> At least they're all supporting
0: if you want to get technical about it. I'm just happy that it was written by a, a Gajan and he got his work out there. I don't know how he did it, but yes. opens the door to other people to do the same.
1: Absolutely. That leads us to the part where we're going to talk a little bit more about the stuff that is much left to be desired in this movie. And just to allude a little bit about our conversation today, we are going to go really in depth into one of the critiques of the movie, which was the Predominance of the gay white gays. But before getting into it, we chatted a little bit about some of the stuff that were much left to be desired. And at least where I'll start is I think for a cast with a plethora of Gaijin folks, which has not really seen its time in Western media to this extent, I. Just thought it was remiss that there was nothing about the asian culture itself whether it was the food history backgrounds of any of the individual Asian character i thought that was a huge missed opportunity to at least shine a little bit of light into our identities
0: yeah and i guess for me along those same lines if we're talking under the umbrella of the gay white gaze It's that, as per the definition of the gay white gays and that dynamic, the love aspect or the love triangle or the romantic interest always seem to involve a white gay. Or if we're not talking about white gay, then we're talking about white people. Could have been an entire Gajian story minus white people, even in the setting of Fire Island. And I think a lot of people's defense is they're the antagonists. Okay, but they also don't have to be the one that you're chasing after. And the movie is literally bookend with opening up, hooking up with a black guy, and then closing up. The two of the three geishans end up with each other. So I think that the movie is very much aware of what it's doing. That is dodging this very volatile conversation that we have had over and over again in the Gaijin community and online spaces about whiteness and our proximity to whiteness. Mm -hmm. Somehow the movie doesn't cover that.
1: Absolutely. And uh, I even started to take a look at the time counter and it was about three minutes in when the conversations and these are conversations between Gaijin folks with one another, Gaijins with gay Latinx folks, gay Black folks. And all of a sudden, it just started centering white folks. And I was just a little shocked to see almost every conversation and scenario about white folks. And I get they are set up as antagonists and also the hero, much to them back there. But it's just, again, to the point that, like you mentioned, the buildup of even the Gaijin relationships, even connecting with one another about culture, background, especially like between you and I, right, Jonathan? That was one of the first things that we connected upon each other as friends, better understanding your identity, my identity, kind of finding out the things we share with one another about our roots, where we grew up, our friends. And it's just... Totally missed.
0: (laughs) And full disclosure for first time, I shouldn't say first time listeners, but if you've not heard an episode with me in it before or you don't know who I am, I am Black and Filipino, so Black American and Filipino American. And I sit at a very interesting intersection within the Gaijin community being able to call out certain things that people either claim to know, claim that they stand for, but where are your actions behind this? I'm talking about BLM or talking about marginalized and oppressed communities because you can say that all day, but where is it in practice? And how much are you aligning with the white gays, the gay white gays in this case? Yeah. Sure. Because they are notorious for being performative activists. Yeah. So are you going to actually do the work or are you going to just be like them?
1: Yeah. Exactly. So, maybe for our listeners, what we can do is talk a little bit about the contextual definition of the white gaze. And so, this terminology, the white gaze, G-A-Z-E, was labeled by Toni Morrison, a black American novelist, defining as the assumption that the default reader or observer is coming from a perspective someone who identifies as white, or that people of color sometimes feel the need to take into account the white reader or observer's reaction. And how we're defining it for us in this particular episode is also the context of the intersection of queerness, gayness, as a part of that white gaze. And so how we're talking about the gay white gaze on this episode is really about seeing our own identities, right, through the lens of whiteness, which includes assimilation as a norm, white adjacency, washing away our cultural identities, particularly because it's not through the lens that was made for us to begin with. And so, One thing that I will start is that this is really harmful, especially for our communities, because of its adjacency to white supremacy, putting white identity above all else. And why this is really tough is because when we see the world through the white lens, the gay white lens, is that all of the intricate parts of our identities aren't celebrated aren't expressed, and that ultimately it places white identity, white saviorism, shining knight in white armor as part of the central storyline, and that unfortunately, especially given so much of happening within the world, whether it's through legislation or just the awful tides of what's happening, we just see a lot of folks suffering at the hands of racism and intolerance perpetuated by white supremacy and so with that i would just like last note i'll add with white supremacy is that it's just a lose-lose game for us all right where one to gain the power with white adjacency to be a part of it you have to erase yourself, get rid of all these parts, right? So that you could be close proximity to power, and that also everyone else on the outside gets hurt. And a quite simple analogy that I give to people is the bullying complex, right? By aligning yourself with a bully, you may face less bullying, but for everyone, whether they're at school, on the playground, is it helping anyone? And really that's A simple analogy that I like to share with some folks around the context of white supremacy is that sometimes by aligning with the people perpetuating the harms, the bullies, one, like you have to lose yourself to the group to gain power, but at the same time, it's just you're in a position where you just keep perpetuating the harm that we face.
0: Asian people... Are in a very specific position and they've been placed there by white supremacy model minority myth Mm -hmm. Asians got put in that position where I like to use the, the analogy if you've ever lived in a house with siblings, which I have not. But we see it all the time. So it should be relatable content. But uh, the parent says, your brother did this and your sister did this. Why haven't you done this? Mm -hmm. You want to do a music degree? Your brother is a doctor. Your sister is a lawyer. Why can't you be like them? It's literally the same thing. White people taking Asians and telling Black and Latino people, the Asians are so good. So why can't you do it? The Asians have worked so hard. So why can't you do it? And so Asians have a fork in the road. Do they go down the path of believing what white people say and also turn toward black and brown people and say, Mm. yeah, we have worked hard. You should be more like us. We're better. If you would just try, then these white people would view you with more respect like they do us. (laughs) Or are you going to turn to white people and say, that's trash. You cannot use us as a scapegoat. You have clearly in this country, the United States of America, you have clearly created laws that bar not only us but all these other black and brown folks yeah and asian people need to be hip to that if they're not then it's assimilation and that is white supremacy yeah that is the goal of white supremacy white supremacy does not just mean the ku klux klan or burning crosses in the yard it's very insidious far-reaching and has stretched over a very long period of time asians can be used, and doubly so when you're in the Gaysian community. If I just go with being Black and gay, that's a whole other layer of stuff. We know that Black trans women and Black queer people, like all those intersectionalities, it means something. And for those types of people who listen to this type of podcast, you already know what it means. You're aware of intersectionality. You're aware of the ladder of privilege and how low Black queer people are. So how could you not be aware of the other side of that ladder, the higher part of that ladder, and how people try to climb it and the methods by which they climb it to get closer to whiteness and Mm -hmm. cis-whiteness and what's conventionally beautiful?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And tying it back right to the movie and what inspired us to start talking about This gay white gaze, basically how white supremacy shows up as a part of our communities and the way in which we see and begin to compete with one another was that uh, one scenario that I'll provide is Bowen Yang's character, right? The Gaijin character that is perfect does nothing wrong. And through the movie, gets screwed over so many times by both his friends and by his also white love interest. And as he is able finally able to just come to realization saying, you know what, I'm done with this island, I'm fed up, I'm leaving. As he's about to finally depart and finally go home, one of the white characters, who literally has not done anything right through the whole entire movie, gets a talking to by one of the Gaijin characters, and then shows up and says, well, please don't leave. And then Bo and Yang stays with the white character, despite also attempts by other queer BIPOC folks to convince him to stay. And it's so interesting, it's the concept of like perfectionism model minority that we are put into this position where we can't be anything aside from perfect in movies, books, films, because let's face it, if also and Yang's character lashed out and all of a sudden had all these complex and drama and all of these things. It's just the gay white gays would say, maybe you don't deserve love. And so the way in which it was propping up the geysian character to then find love was basically by being so perfect and then somebody realizing, he was perfect. That part was really tough for me to watch. And also, a lot of the critiques even didn't point this out, especially with the movie, because I think, like you mentioned, just your proximity to not just the gay identity, but also the gay Black identity. I think and also myself doing this work, talking about this, we have a higher sensitivity to notice and be aware of it. And what I will mention too, I have a few bullet points of just things that show up as we start leaning towards whiteness, white adjacency, or leaning towards the gay white gaze. We end up internalizing a lot of the harm that's perpetuated and then it comes out through perfectionist means. We kill ourselves to have the perfect body so that we can gain institutional whiteness, white adjacency, white boyfriend. We have an overly ambitious career and we have relationships with folks who haven't done the work and I think A big part, at least for me, with the movie and also how it relates to the gay white gays was, again, like you mentioned, pointing this out, right? Not just like saying that gay white men are saying these awful things to us in the movie, which they portray, but really showcasing this really complex dynamic of assimilation and that storyline.
0: It's just really confusing to me as well, because the movie and the writing, and I'm guessing it's Joel Kimbooster as a writer, but if he had a team of writers, then cool, them too. Whoever wrote this was very capable of pointing out the various different dynamics of white supremacy and groupthink and alignment and assimilation. In the very first scene, when they're on the ferry from Sayville to like Fire Fire Island Pines... Mm -hmm. All the gays take off their shirts, and someone is like, Why do we subscribe to this heteronormative, blah, 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 blah? And I'm like, Okay. And that was the beginning of the movie. So I was like, Okay. So there is some awareness. Whereas people like to joke, Oh, it's woke. (laughs) And I was like, Okay. So it's aware. (laughs) And it also makes a whole bunch of other points throughout the movie. Bo and Yang's character gets Joel Kim Booster's character right together at the end. He's like, I'm not you. I'm not perfect. Stop pretending. And also Joel Kim Booster's character is just written in a way that is so very naive about the very things that the movie is calling out. Yes. So it's just weird to me that Bowen Yang's character in his moment of, no, you know what? Fuck this shit. I'm out. Instead, the movie takes a turn and is like, Bowen Yang is in love with this white guy. What? <laughs> and they like get together. I'm like, no, the more appropriate ending would have been to be like, fuck Fire Island. I'm getting out of here. These people have been racist. We should have ended this 10 minutes in when we were in the bathroom when we heard them talking shit about us. The rest of the movie should have been about uplifting our own identity and making something other than corn at the yes. house with Margaret Cho.
1: Yes, to that point, talking about Asian culture, the Gaijans in the house, when they prepared a meal for the white visitors, they created grilled corn, skewers, and salad for dinner. (laughs) But keep going.
0: I'm not against the idea of corn, skewers, and salad at Fire Island. Maybe there are a bunch of people that are looking to keep their physique in check or whatever. I don't know. I just know that I hang out in various Asian circles with both ABC and folks that have come over when they were 11 and then like recent immigrants. In the city of New York, which goes to Fire Island, I am in these different concentric circles. And anytime we hang out, we're eating something Asian. Asian food is so good. (laughs) All I'll say, I'll play devil's advocate and be like, the food thing, it's hit or miss for me. Because sometimes (laughs) we'll be making Asian stuff and sometimes we'll just not.
1: Yeah. Like, where I come
0: from is it was just...
1: If I was writing the movie, it's just a small... like. It's so It would have been a small
0: little thing to be like, this is our Asian culture. This is our Gaijin culture. Yes. Because it's all about, that's how I heard about the movie was everybody was like, oh, this is so my experience. As a Gaijin, this is so great to see. And I'm like, okay. And then I watched it and I was like, what? Your experience is being traumatized by white people? And so,
1: yes, it is. Let's talk about that, right? Like... I know you had a couple of things that you mentioned, especially about movies that center itself on trauma. But while I watched this movie, I think first and foremost, my body even just really did not resonate with it. Because one, what they try to do is point out the racism, the intolerance, and why it's tough is because you see this being perpetuated by some of the other party goers in Fire Island to the characters visiting the island. And then at the end of the day, like, <laughs> Bo and Ying's character gets with one of the people whose friends are literally perpetuating the harm. But anyway, it points out all the traumas and all the different degrees. And for me, I've lived through this trauma for most of my life and it was just really tough to watch a movie and come out with joy, seeing and being reminded of all the things it just killed me all my life, the racism, the intolerance, all of that
0: there are also people who live that same trauma that you're talking about who saw this movie and for some reason were happy. They were like, this is how hard it is for me as a Gaijin. And so that's why I like the movie. Yeah. And I'm just like, Okay, maybe you just haven't had enough. Maybe this is truly that kicking down the door and this is the first time you see it. Because I'm sure when they made, I don't know, roots or like the color purple, we were like, yeah, Yeah. but then after you get Django Unchained, the color purple, and then what else? Django Unchained, Underground, Twelve Years a Slave, Mm -hmm. Driving, not driving Miss Daisy, but that is one of them. But the other one, the Green Book, like, how many times are y'all gonna make the same slave movie? (laughs) <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> and it's, I don't know if Gaisans are, well, I know that Gaisans are not there yet, but yeah. just imagine a world where 10 years from now, every big Gaisan hit that came out each summer was about white people being trashy
1: to, yes. to Gaisans.
0: And it's just like, how long is that going to last?
1: Yeah. And also I feel like in part of doing the work, trauma is definitely a part of our lived experience because we, we, experience it as a part of being here within a Western colonial society, but I feel like the part that I really struggled with, is I have so much more to offer than my relationship with white trauma. I have great thriving relationships with other people that are not centered on trauma. I have amazing hobbies, interests, things I love to do. And it's just... To your point and adding on to your what you just mentioned about the people celebrating it, I think to me, my takeaway with that was it just shows we have a lot of work to do with our communities still. I, I think it's just around celebrating joy. And the fact that if seeing the pain is what brings us joy, <laughs> I think we just need, uh, to me, my takeaway was It is an opportunity to actually really teach ourselves, us as a community, what is joy beyond seeing our traumas represented? Can there be a joy that isn't based in trauma and harm?
0: For me, it boils down to the writing. Um, And I think that a part of the answer here is the fact that we're questioning the writing that at times it seems like it's quote woke and at other times it's okay but if there's any woke quote unquote people out there that are able to call out dynamics yeah. then why aren't more people calling out the disparity like the conflict of quote wokeness being able to see why some of this is wrong yeah so I think that's where the solution lies for this question Andrew Thomas Huang, who is I believe a Asian American creator a film creator And I think of his Kiss of the Rabbit God, a short, which talks about the trauma of being closeted, a closeted Chinese-American restaurant worker who just works over and over again day by day in his restaurant, his parents' restaurant, but then is confronted by the god of, I think, like same-sex attraction. It's only like 15 minutes long, but it's a work of art. And trying to come out of that is an experience that a lot of Geishans have. Yeah. And it's beautiful. It was a beautiful work Mm. and didn't involve white people.
1: Yeah. (laughs) But, you know. So agreed. And I think it's the proxy of us finding liberation also doesn't need to include white people.
0: It doesn't need to have the white gaze.
1: Not at all. And it actually is the counter of that, where when we finally embrace. The complexity of our identities, not just like for you and I and this podcast, our Asian identity, but the relationship we have with our Asian identities in a Western diaspora. Speaking of which,
0: you know what else I just now realized did that really well that I was surprised? Mm -hmm. Minari. That movie, I remember watching it the first time Mm -hmm. and being like, wait. This is a movie about a Korean family that moved to Arkansas and there's no white people and they're not being racist. There's one little scene where the daughter is talking to a little white girl and the little white girl goes, how do you say your name? And then she says her name and she's like, ching chong ding dong. Mm. And I was like, oh, but other than that, the movie was not about white this trauma. family living in mm-hmm the South of the United States and their proximity to whiteness. Yeah. It was about literally everything other than that for them. And it was a beautiful <laughs> film.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. It is really the coming of age movie of all the characters. And that's the thing that I think is really both special about our identities, but also really important to underscore is not just like Asian Americans, but Gaysian Americans within a Western context is that just every single point of our culture, we share the culture of Asia, we share the culture of Western communities, we share the culture within institutional whiteness and also with community members, with immigrant identities. And I think to your point, there's all these ups and downs but it did not have to do with any white people or white people were not the proxy to teach them about anything they learned through their relationships with each other, the grandma, the father, the mother. And I get it. I get
0: that people are going to be like, you're talking about an Oscar, like a Academy Award winner versus <laughs> a rom-com based on the early 2000s. Like, I get it. I'm just highlighting the differences yeah. in how a story yeah. can be told about a people with an identity. You're
1: right. You're right.
0: And if you're going to argue it's Fire Island, so you got to include white people because they're the main. Okay. But it doesn't have to be all about them. And it definitely doesn't need to center them in terms of love interest and love You're triangle
1: right. and all of this. You're right. Even the Crazy Rich Asians, which takes place, was it Singapore? There's a ton of white people in Singapore. A ton of white people who are really racist in Singapore. And it was not about them at all.
0: The only white people in Crazy Rich Asians that I can remember were... At the beginning, when Michelle Yeoh's character was like, okay, you want to be racist? Yeah. I'll buy this hotel.
1: Yeah. Or even just recently, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Amazing film. But that one... Such a beautiful film. Such a beautiful film. But how much of it, the writing had to center itself around whiteness. Even, I would say, just like the fraction of the beginning. And I feel like most of the part is really this relationship Michelle Yeoh has with her daughter, her lesbian daughter within the movie. Also, spoiler warning, but it's also not just the relationship she has with her lesbian daughter, but also her father, her immigrant father that holds very deep ancestral roots to where they're from and just the navigation of it, but really truly finding love amidst language, cultural barriers, right? Like that's the beautiful part I love about our community is that there's such deep expressions of complex joy, story, and really development that is so much more complex than whiteness and white adjacency. That I think what I would hope in upcoming movies featuring Atom like that's a great opportunity to pick right. that up.
0: And again, I just want to bring it back because I know the list, some listeners are going to be like, but you're talking about these big films and this is just, this is our first film and it has to be this way. I'm here to tell you that it doesn't need to be Oscar Well, to your point, worthy. the 15
1: minutes, right?
0: Yeah, it doesn't need to be Oscar worthy, but it also doesn't need to be lazy writing. That begs these questions of people who are waving Black Lives Matter flags and trans lives matter flags. So if you believe in all that kind of stuff, if you're aware of that much in the, quote, gay community, in the queer community, then why haven't you questioned this movie with a little more scrutiny?
1: But it's your point. Even if they had either yourself, me or... Any one of our friends that could give advice to the movie, we would have instantly clocked it. We would have been like, listen, get it, but like, we can button this up, this trauma part up in five minutes and still make know. a point. No,
0: I don't know much about Joel Kim Booster. So I don't know his politics. I don't know his history. But I also want to acknowledge the possibility that perhaps it was a little bit more quote unquote woke and perhaps a production studio was like, this isn't going to land well. Can he end up with the boy, the white guy or something? Mm. like? Not even the white guy, but just not even thinking about race. But can he just end up with Will or whatever his yeah. name is? Can there be can, a moment
1: that's... The, that's specifically right. Then that's the white gaze.
0: It's the white gaze intervening. It regardless. literally is. So, so, in a multiverse branch where this happened, right? Maybe Joel Kim Booster was like, no, we can't center white people. <laughs> The way white supremacy works is they're the studio and they're like, no, it has to be palpable to the audience. And your audience is gay men and 70 percent are white. So like they need to be able to see themselves. this is the type of stuff that you deal with when you're in this industry. I'm leaving the possibility open that there is a somewhere in the multiverse. This happened (laughs) with Joel Kim Booster, who had a much more progressive (laughs) and like a better film. And it just got cut down to be what it
1: is. Yeah, the multiverse. I I hear that. And it's also the crazy part is a movie that was supposed to be centered about Gaijians, really. How did you have a knight in one like literally a white knight in shining armor? What was that?
0: And they're not talking about it. It's just so weird because anywhere, whether it's Reddit Mm -hmm. or Discord or forums, Mm -hmm. anywhere, a big conversation in the Gajian community is half of the people being like, look at my boyfriend. And then half of the other people responding, why is it a white person? And it's not, that's not exclusive to the Asian community. It happens in straight black folks and black folks in their queer communities, just the proximity to whiteness and dating outside, quote unquote, your race. And with I we talked about this in a past thing, but it's, it's really weird because when y'all decide to date outside of your race, it's yeah. typically white people And there are reasons for that. Parents are like, you need to date a white man. That's literally what comes out of some people's mouth. Date up.
1: I will underscore. It's not that you can't date a white person, but it's that most of the relationships that at least you and I have seen, it's just you have the most Beautiful gay Asian man who does everything so well, it's so great. Then it's like
0: the most does average it, looking
1: it, white man, is what you're trying to say. or
0: not just, And the movie
1: doesn't address this. Well, It doesn't, doesn't have to be like look these. based, but they don't do anything for them. Right. They treat them awful, right? Or like, like in this movie's case, the white guy he has his friends. They
0: even fly his ex in, who is also racist, to Boeing. Yes, yes. And even then, that white guy is no, that's not cool. He just, like, rolls with it. I'm just like, and then he ends up with this man. I'm just, what the hell is going on?
1: (laughs) For context, that was a scene when the friends of the white knight in shining armor literally fly the exit. And then there's a scene, were they, like, making out at the dance party? But it was just, it was a hot mess. And if I witnessed it, I would have been like, that was you cannot come, you cannot come back from that like, game. But over. that was already Shut an down. hour and ten minutes
0: too far into the situation because the fact that they flew in his boyfriend. I'm telling you, Joel Kim Booster's character, or maybe it's Bo and Yang's character. One of them is in the bathroom by accident yeah. and overhears some. Shiesty stuff, mm. and it was at that point that I would have been like, "Okay, well, the movie's over. Yeah. We're just going back to Cherry Grove. We're gonna yeah. enjoy our day on the beach. We're not talking to these people yeah. anymore."
1: Yeah, to that point, right? It's when we stand up against intolerance. I think the most important thing is we don't accept them back into our space unless. They actually listen, and it seemed like what was happening was they kept pointing all these things out that were issues with people, and then they invite them over to their house for dinner. It was weird, but I think
0: that was also the element of messiness, drama. Because I think that whole setup was like, oh, well, why don't you come over and eat? And the one I was like, no, oh, don't do that because it's so dramatic and messy and it's probably funny, funny, huh? But no, I would no, right? See, that's the and getting back serious, it is. Again, because I am Asian and a black gay, just black and Asian. Period. I stand at the intersection that sees to my left, black people being like, "Nah, you only got one time to disrespect me, and then I'm not fucking with you anymore." Yeah. And then on my right, I see Asian people who are just basically sucking up to white people and just doing everything they can. And get- I will underscore: it's not all Asians. Not all. Okay. You hear my eyes rolling at that, but enough to where people believe in the model minority myth and they're yeah. playing into it. But thank God for the the Gaisians and the Asians who do understand yes, and exactly. have clocked the dynamic. Yeah. Thank you for them.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's just, again, this is why we wanted to talk a little bit on this episode about the issue of the white gaze. Specifically, the gay white gaze is... In a movie representative of Gaijin people, the fact that you had to put a white character also in the position of being a hero, but also one of the main protagonists towards the end of the movie, it just, again, it's because you're seeing this movie through the lens of whiteness, they're asking, where's us? Where's our representation? And so a big part of it is understanding, and this is going into the next part, of just advice for our community members. And one of the biggest advice is, and also for context, I just came back from a silent meditation retreat. (laughs) this past week and I thought long and hard about a lot of things just happening in the world and one thing that had come up on retreat was this concept of forgiving and letting go but not in the sense that we have to forgive and accept what's happening to us but maybe it's just the letting go you don't have to forgive but it's the letting go of what's happened to us so that we can do other things with our life so that we can center other things, other community members, other friends, other joys. And so I think a big part of the movie that I would love to see is what does it look like to let go of the white trauma? I get you want to point it out for, I I forget how long the whole movie is, but an hour or something. What if they just let go of that and just didn't accept it 10 minutes in what would that dynamic look like
0: i was just gonna say what would it look like if you start off with a Asian with a white boyfriend and in the first 10 minutes they break up because that Asian is over it mm. what is the rest of the movie like <laughs> what is the rest of Asian representation like there do we get mm. a rom-com or just a fun comedy about gay asians living their lives yeah. from day to day do we get a Romance with another BIPOC person What is it? But Fire Island had to happen Yeah, exactly Fire Island had to happen for us to have this conversation So that someone out there listening can be like You know what? I can also Write a story and it Can be good without Mm, the white case Because I feel like they do Or somebody who doesn't know about all this Terminology that we're talking about Is very sincere in their Pursuit of Just all the facts, right? (laughs) <laughs> whatever their truth may turn out being, and they look more into it. Yeah. I'm not on here trying to deride Asians and talk, shout down to them. I'm part of that community. Yeah. I just want people to know that there's more to the Asian community than circuit parties with white gays all over the world and thinking that, thinking naively that, issues of race have nothing to do with you.
1: Asking the question of what would a deeper, really, truly deeper friendship that uplift your whole entire self look like? And so tip number two, beyond forgiving, letting go, is as you surround yourself with more diverse communities, who are the good people that are really going to even identify these parts of you and say, I don't see that part of you being expressed. Come on, be you, be authentically you. And I think, especially I've talked about it in my podcast early on about a few years ago, just like my experience with the circuit community and also just being surrounded by just so, a lot of stuff, a lot of just really in the thick of it. Long story short, for anyone who didn't listen to those episodes, I got really sick. And as a part of my illness, ending up in the hospital for a few months, my friend groups completely radically changed. Immediately, I was able to spot who was an actual friend showing up for me and who only wanted the side of me that would be out with them at parties, at events. And at the time, it was a majority of the people and it made me really sad, really depressed. But I'm actually so grateful for it because... In that emptiness of my heart, I was able to surround myself and throw myself at different people, community members, people on this podcast, you, Jonathan, you've brought me a ton of joy. And it's because people like you see so many parts of me, my intersectional identities and my hobbies, my choice, all this, and you uplift them. And it's just for people listening, My advice is find those people that celebrate you unapologetically and uplift and even see beyond and pull these parts of yourself that may have not been expressed before, especially in certain spaces.
0: That's very powerful. And I was having thoughts in the gay community and probably all across the queer community. I can almost, even though I haven't lived those experiences, I can almost say that because we're different, quote unquote. At least in our generation, Stephen, like pre-internet, like on the cusp of the internet. Yeah, I remember that. We grew up isolated from other people like us. Yeah. And so we didn't have guidance. And so when you are the type of gay that leaves Iowa or the suburbs of California to go to Los Angeles or closer to the coast or New York— You don't have guidance on how to be a good person. You don't have guidance on how to be a caring friend. All you know is the vapidness of the, quote, gay community and circuit parties and going out to bars and having sex and being shady and watching RuPaul's Drag Race and doing all this stuff. But along the line, if you're so lucky to meet someone who can actually show you what it means to be a caring person, to be that mother figure or whatever, and I've done that for some Gaysians. I have some daughters yeah. out here. And I saw the path that they were going down. Yeah. And I was like, no, you're my friend and I'm going to be here for you. And this person was literally sick. Yeah. I'm feeding him soup yeah. in my living room. These people don't know how, yeah. a lot of people don't know how to be a good friend. And that's what's missing.
1: You mentioned a few things. There's <laughs> so much to unpack, but it's around like watching your paw is inherently not bad but it's also it's also
0: surface level vapid yes. like it's, it's almost it's how some
1: people co-opting black queer that it's co-opting black queer trends and culture and putting it on this facetious layer of skinny white drag queens and uplifting them as a part of storylines. And story being
0: shady. But you know what? Yeah. You need to invite me back for that mm. episode so we can talk about it. We do, yeah.
1: But I just wanted to just add some notes to folks because Jonathan and I, we talk about this and it's just, I just want to underscore
0: Stephen Steven was that. literally the first person I thought of when I was watching Fire Island. I was like, have you, I, would t- I text him, I was like, <laughs> have you seen this movie?
1: And at the time I was like, I have been avoiding it, Jonathan, because I, and then I said, you know what, I'm going to watch it. The next text I get from him is just, oh my God. I appreciate you. And what I appreciate too is tip number three is just my ability to be unapologetically myself with you. We've gone through so many things. We're just also working with like Different community, like like for listeners, I would say then is one of my ride or dies, where it's just I was like facing a lot of issues with certain community members at one point too, which is not gonna unpack too much, but it's a lot of social media stuff. And Jonathan was there to just help set the tone and also just surround myself with right folks and right community members. And I think that's really what I want to underscore for our listeners is. Find people who allow you to be unapologetically yourself and accept you. Also like the different dynamics that you have, like we're not always perfect, but find some folks who will uplift that. And what I wrote in the show notes that I really want to just highlight is don't bend yourself to be loved and accepted by others. We live a life that's way too short and that sometimes we have to do it for safety, I will underscore, when we're in situations and we have to be safe, especially as queer people totally get it, but we have the freedom and flexibility and we have the privilege to be surrounded by a myriad of people, especially when we live in metro cities. Don't bend yourself to be loved and accepted by others because they have status, they look a certain way, because at the end of the day, our work in this like short lifetime that we have, I think, at least, is just figuring out how we just live a good life that is true to us. And I think in doing so, we allow other people to live their truths, too.
0: All right, Oprah. <laughs> Do you have any other tips that you want to add, John? <laughs> I think you said it all. I could tell the listeners out there, get you a black friend. And it's, Mm -hmm. oh my God, did he really just say that? No, I'm serious. Because a number of- Diversify your friend groups. Diversify your friend groups and include black people. If you want to position that another way, instead of saying, get you a black friend, diversify, include black people in your friend groups. Mm -hmm. And I almost got in trouble. I almost said the wrong thing, but I'm going to say what I almost said. I was going to say real black people. <laughs> because you are, you're telling the line, just some of these people out here, like all skin folk and kin folk. And just because you have a black friend that hovers around your circles, you need to ask why is it that that's the only black person there?
1: So much unpack.
0: There's a lot more for an episode <laughs> on that. Too. A, it, but it goes with Rick like- Morris' character because Joel Kim Booster's character was like Oh, he's probably just a token. So I know that the movie is aware <laughs> of these conversations.
1: <laughs> You're right. You're right. <laughs> or are they just aware of the words?
0: Are they is it the performativeness of it? Probably. You
1: know what? But you were asking say they have multiverses. I'm going to go with that. I think you had a good point. Yeah, uh, yeah they have multiverse. Maybe they pitched something that was really like Powerful and moving exactly what we were savoring. But we'll just say the studio just didn't And the studio
0: was like, nope, he just has to be, he just happens to be Gajian. And that's how, because we need someone for him to fall in love with. (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) Fine. (laughs) My other tip is believe. (laughs) You know what? That's a good tip. Believe. But it's, we have movies already, right? Everything, everywhere, all at once. Crazy Rich Asians. Minari. Did we do a
0: spoiler alert for... Everywhere all at once.
1: <laughs> I did. I mentioned okay, I, yeah. That is a queer story. And I didn't yeah. realize it until it like, was a queer story, exactly. And so it's we have these, but also it's we're like, getting things. We're, we're getting we're things. getting things. We're so slow, slow and steady. And to your point, belief. I, I think it's about putting stuff out there is one thing. And then also, like you mentioned, like having these conversations and allowing us. To have these conversations, I think, is a great opportunity to bring other people along, at least some of the stuff that you and I talk about in a vacuum that we can share with other folks. And then lastly, I just wanted to highlight a couple organizations and some things that folks can check out. One of the organizations is called the Black and Brown Equity Coalition, and they are doing work within Fire Island, specifically around Cherry Grove, Pines, and surrounding areas, to create a more equitable for black and brown folks as well as transgender folks and i think they are doing some really great wonderful work and especially this episode we really missed if we didn't highlight them and so if anyone wants to check out their work and really their work helps center conversations like ours especially within the context of our island and this is what's happening but also centering through black joy, brown joy, yellow joy bringing all these performers BIPOC, queer BIPOC performers into Fire Island to be authentically their true selves. And so if you want to check them out, their website is B-A-B-E-C, And then another reference I want to highlight is this streaming platform called Gaga Ooh La La, which is a Taipei-based subscription video on-demand service that specializes in uncensored LGBTQ-related films that center gay Asian folks, especially. Wait a minute, why is it uncensored? Particularly because when you want to film LGBTQ films within like China, for example, they actually ask you to cut specific scenes out and-
0: Oh, like just kisses, I thought we meant uncensored as something else, (laughs) what kind of sign is this? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> that could be it too, but no, it's like when you air a movie, and for example, they, it was like a Marvel movie or a Spider-Man movie that they aired and pushed to China. China actually had them remove some of the gay scenes out of it, specifically for their audience. And I believe some of the other Asian countries also do that as well. And I highly recommend this. Uncensored, and everyone can check it out, but it has a lot of wonderful gay Asian movies that are published across all different languages and communities and so to check them out visit their website at gagaoolal acom thank you so much Stephen. yeah checking out some of them and i think people are just doing the work right it's there's a lot of people also within many parts of asia creating these complex movies that we had talked about but also not seeing the light of day within the western context because we're not sharing them and celebrating them as well and so I think it's just the more we can open our eyes and our hearts to a lot of these things I think at least for me it it helps to reassure me to your advice believe (laughs) it helps to reassure me that there are people out there who are also putting in the good work
0: and pointing back to my other advice, other than believe, I'm jokingly saying this, I don't expect people to just go in there to find a Black friend. But if you do want to find a Black friend who is down with the cause and understands, and or you want to learn more and observe and get better knowledge as Senator Ophelia Ford, look up Senator Ophelia Ford, she is wild. But anyway, if you want all of that, Look for the Black and Asian Alliance Network. If you're on Facebook, that's where the main group is. But we also have a website, banorg.org, that's B-A-N-O-R-G.org, that has some basic information about the Black and Asian Alliance Network, because we are out here doing the work, having the tough conversations sometimes, and most of the times posting memes and funny stuff against white supremacy to laugh with each other. But it's not all just that. Again, sometimes it's a tough conversation, but we stick around because we ultimately care for each other. And we're trying to get this thing moving to a point where we can move forward in solidarity.
1: Yeah. And you also have some additional podcasts too, right? I am the creator of
0: This QPOC Life, which is on hiatus right now, but we'll be back. Black, Brown, and Gold, a Blasian podcast under the Black and Asian Alliance Network and We the Many, which is also under the same distributor.
1: Highly recommend everyone to check those out and really appreciate everyone. Spending your time listening to our conversation. And if anyone wants to reach out to me, you can reach out via Instagram at Stephen Wakabayashi or on Twitter, which I've been more active on lately, at Waku, W-A-K-U-U. If people want to get in touch with you, Jonathan, where can they find you? I
0: am you? the same across all platforms, from TikTok to Instagram to Facebook to Twitter, Jonah-san, N. Do not come to me talking about Fire Island was Pride and Prejudice, but with gays. I don't want to hear that point.
1: We are so beyond that point. So much to unpack, and with that, hope you got a lot out of this episode, and hope your day, and your week, and your month can be a little bit more mindful with some of the stuff that we had shared here and so with that hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and we'll talk soon talk to you later bye